Welcome to Sex Positive Families, where parents, caring adults, and advocates come to grow and learn about sexual health in a supportive community. I'm your host and the founder of SPF, Melissa Carnegie. Join me and special guests as we dive into the art of sex positive parenting. Together, we will shake the shame and trash the taboos to strengthen sexual health talks with the children in our lives. Thank you so much for joining us. Hi, families. I recently had the pleasure of being a guest on a podcast called Something Positive for Positive People, hosted by Courtney Brame. His podcast offers a safe space for people living with or affected by sexually transmitted infections like herpes and HIV to share their experiences as a way to shake the shame and stigma that exists around these diagnoses. He originally invited me on his podcast to talk sex ed and SPF, but little did he know, I too am a person living with HSV2 and I'm not at all ashamed. So on this episode, I chat with Courtney about his journey toward the great work he is doing shaking stigma around STIs. Our chat touches on why accurate and open talks at home about sexual health are so important, some tips for managing herpes diagnoses, and he shares a really innovative connection he made between the horror film It and social stigma around herpes. Let's check it out. Hey, Courtney. So I am excited to have you on the SPF podcast. Melissa, thank you very much for having me. Um, Always nice to connect with other people who are doing positive things. Yes. (laughs) Yeah, pun intended. I know we are going to dive in deep to some very important uh, topics here today. But before we do that, I would love for you to tell us about the journey that's led you to the work that you're doing now. So what led me to the work that I'm doing, first off, contracting herpes was probably a big part of it. And having herpes for going on six years now, I think that the ups and downs throughout that have led me to my own personal experiences, which I've dealt with rather well. But I think that the biggest piece that led me to like openly discussing herpes and speaking with people who are living with STDs, not just herpes, but uh, HIV as well. That came from me meeting someone uh, in my dating experience and connecting with her and figuring out how her experience was. And when I found out that she, this particular person had at one point contemplated suicide, Mm. it became something that I wasn't aware of. I never thought to myself, someone gets herpes, they want to end their lives. Because I've always thought, you know, suicide is being like, with the people around me who have done it or have thought about it, the absolute worst things are going on in your life and you're ready to end it. But as someone who's had herpes for several years, coming to find out that what having herpes meant to me before I got it wasn't exactly what it meant to me after I got it, if that makes sense. Yeah, that like there were two different things. So after she mentioned to me that she had contemplated suicide at one point, I just thought, hmm, that's weird. And then I started to see it again and again in different chat rooms or uh, social media secret groups. I was just like, this is a, you know, this is silly to me. I, not necessarily silly because everyone has their own experience living with herpes. But when I got to hear other people's experiences and understand that it can be really painful or rejection can be a big thing, or there's, there's so many different unexplored areas that I've come into connection with that hadn't never even crossed my mind. It just felt like 
I needed to put more experiences into these people's face the only way that I knew how. And given that I've worked at a podcast ad agency and I've had to listen to a lot of podcasts and Mm -hmm. it's like, it immediately clicked to me like, okay, there's anonymity here. It's just audio. You can still feel the passion or the feeling and emotion in a person's voice. So like, this is probably a good way to get a point across of having herpes isn't all that bad. So um, I found a few people who were willing to talk to me and allow me to record the conversation. Some people were okay with using their real name. Some people were open about it. Some people were not. But uh, ultimately, what's happened is we've been able to get a few stories out there just to let the newly diagnosed people know, you know, there's an alternative option to suicide. And if you get past that point, when you decide, okay, you know, I'm going to live, I'm going to learn to live with this, then you can go on to have a normal life. You can have a family. You can have a partner. You can have the kind of sex life you want. You can have the career field you want. And ultimately, you know, the people who find out we have herpes really don't care. You know, unless it's a prospective partner or, you know, a, a partner actually, you know, after someone's diagnosed, after being in a relationship, I think that the most important thing really is for newly diagnosed people to recognize that there are resources out there for them. There's social groups, interest groups, uh, dating groups. There's all these different things that you, it took me five years to find. Mm. And not a lot of people have five years. You know, some people get diagnosed right away and immediately go down that dark path of this is the rest of my life. And they think that what they thought about having herpes before they got herpes is what having herpes is gonna be like. And that's not the case. Uh, so you're right. Like there's there's so much shame and stigma that our society and our culture, American culture in particular, has projected onto sexually transmitted infections. Um, it really makes it it paints a dark picture and puts people in in real isolating places. Are there any other common experiences or themes that you've heard come through some of the guests and folks that you've been able to connect with through the platform? Yeah, a lot of the people who I speak with are at a place of acceptance with their diagnosis. Some people are single, some people are struggling to date, and it's not even related to herpes. There are people who are in relationships or have left toxic relationships. There are so many different perspectives that I've come across in the 27, 28 episodes that we've done so far. In the first one, um, we had a lady who was a victim of infidelity. Partner cheated. She was in a marriage and left her with herpes, and he left and went to his mistress, I guess. Her having to recover from that was a story that we just don't ever really hear from. Mm -hmm. Um, There's another one where people contracted herpes through kissing, or some people uh, were born with it, or at some point just... You know, just don't even know how they could have come into contact with it. Mm -hmm. And I think that the most interesting thing is how we immediately look at how negatively our sex lives are now going to be affected Mm -hmm. as opposed to how how we can positively use this as an opportunity to impact the other things going on in our lives. So we all think, you know, oh, I'm going to be single. No one's going to want me. And it's completely related to sex. And that's not always the case what i'm thinking too is so a big component of this is the lack of accurate and honest and shame-free sex education um that and these messages that start 
from early. If we were able to better prepare our young people for their sexual health, which can include risks, which can include infections, right? Transmission of, of different infections, um, then I think that we could get closer to eliminating this stigma that's been associated with it. So I'm curious, what was your experience, your own personal experience in terms of sex education and in what ways, if any, do you feel like your path in sex, in sex education may have impacted your own diagnosis or understanding of your diagnosis early on? My sex education was wear condoms, don't get anyone pregnant. And then as far as school went, they would show us the worst possible STDs and what it looks like on your genitals. It was like a scare tactic. And you can only scare someone with the same message for so long, even after they begin to have other experiences and messaging that completely contradicts that. So in the household, my sex education was don't get anyone pregnant and be sure to always use condoms as if there weren't any SCDs that could be contracted a condom doesn't protect you from and so my biggest concern growing up was making sure I didn't get anybody pregnant so when I ended up having sex 16, 17, 18 years old that was my concern not getting an STD because the sex education that I had at school was it, it, it made me believe that I could look at a vagina mm. and tell if someone had an STD or I would smell that, oh, right. this vagina doesn't smell very good, so she probably has an STD. Such a but good point. And it, it, it never really, and then after having sex and nothing happening, like I didn't get an STD, I didn't have burning pee, I was like, oh, like, this is working. This is what I need to do. Like, I'm fine. And so you start to develop, like, a, a, a muscle. Like, you continue to continue to do the same thing over and over again without consequences. And you think, you know, I'm, I'm good. Like, I'm confident in this thing that I'm doing. And then you get herpes. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So my education at that point, it was just like, okay, well, why did I know about this? I think that that was a big problem. Like, herpes was a joke about kissing. I thought, okay, I'll avoid kissing in college. Like, I would only kiss girls that I dated, not ones that I was intimate with, which is a completely separate and funny story because I always get asked about that, too. Like, how'd you go without kissing people but have an active sex life? Feel free like, to share. I, <laughs> I, I, I did that. Like, I tried not to kiss anyone mono strep throat uh cold sores like Mm -hmm. those were the kind of things that i heard like i heard oh if you have a cold sore and kiss somebody then they'll get herpes and it was just like the terminology was always mixed up but i remember that sticking to me so i did everything i could to avoid it and even in doing everything that i could to avoid it which meant you know not kissing using condoms i still ended up with it yeah So there are a couple things. One, if we don't know all of the facts, then that can greatly impact, you know, the decisions that we make and our understanding of it all. There's that piece. But then there's the other piece that sex, sexual contact involves risk. And we can, there's no way that that sex is going to be safe from risk. There's always going to be risk. And so that I think is definitely a misnomer you know, that's out there. It's not about safe sex. Safe sex is impossible. There's safe earth. Right. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And so it's like, if we can 
teach our young people this and have, and even just as adults have these messages normalized and clarified, then I think we can have a better chance of reducing the incidence of transmission, but even at the same, it's not going to eliminate it. Right, right. I think that at this point, you know, teaching abstinence or using condoms is, it, it helps, but it, it just delays the inevitable. We're going to have sex. We are creatures that, you know, yes. we have to reproduce, you know, <laughs> uh, there are people who choose not to, and that's fine, but this is going to, that's not going to eliminate the act of sex. And so one of the things that I wish that I was taught was to have the conversation about STDs and yes. STIs. Mm-hmm. So these conversations not only reduce the risk of transmission, but also put us in the space where we're able to talk about it, where we're able to be educated and allow people to make informed and educated decisions. Because I can't 100% say that if I did, you know, find myself in a situation where I was about to be intimate with someone, for example, and she comes out and she's like, well, we can do this, but I have herpes. Like I'm sitting there, all of the blood and brain juices that are in my brain are now at a completely different part of my body and I'll be like oh okay that's fine Mm -hmm. and make that decision then and there but then like way after the fact be like oh man and all I would have to go off of are it's the stigma like the exact things that I would have thought about someone living with herpes of course uh that's what I would have began to associate myself with And that's just due to the lack of education that I had. I can't speak for everyone. We, as a society, like to say, as a whole, overall, I want to say, we want to put a lot of the uh, responsibilities of education to the education system, whereas this this starts at home. It it really does. There's no way around it. Like, the, the children that we raise and send out to the world what they learn at home is what they take to school. We want to avoid the talk. We want to put the we want to put the burden of responsibility of education to the schools, right. and that cookie cutter template does not necessarily work for it's not everyone. Working. It's not working. Yeah, we have a lot of evidence that supports it's not working, and because there are so many variances in the types of of curriculum that are out there, you know, we we definitely have a lot of evidence now. Abstinence only education does not work, and so then there's this spectrum, you know, all the way to comprehensive sex ed, and because of our culture being so sex negative and the political climate, it's really inhibiting all of our young people getting consistent messaging. Um, And so you, yes, you bring up uh, the great point that then it puts that responsibility in the home. And it's important that the parents create the atmosphere of openness around sexual health and that it's not just about sex. Like you said, there are skills that uh, in terms of communication that, we need to be teaching our young people and practicing and modeling ourselves because there's a lot more to it than just intercourse. Right, right. I always viewed sex as I was starting to have it as, okay, you know, penis, vagina, <laughs> penetration. And there's so many other explorations of sex. And mm-hmm. not to say that this was a conversation I was ready to have with my parents at this point in time, but having to explore those things and develop an understanding on my own of what all of that was, such as masturbation, right. foreplay, and 
getting into kinky stuff like that. Right. Like I learned that and had to form my own interpretation and opinion of exactly what that was. So it's like that was my sex education. Porn was my sex education or right. what I took from school and what I took from the conversations that were not being had at home. That was what I had to take into my, my, my sex life as a kid you know in hindsight 16 17 18 years old even in my early 20s i mean even now like i'm still learning stuff so this is an ongoing process mm -hmm. uh learning about not just sex but like sexual health and mm -hmm. i'm just now you know with everything going on in the media with women coming out about being sexually assaulted it's like mm -hmm. what is consent like these are conversations that should be had or i should have had that i in hindsight can't even recall ever having asked someone, hey, is it okay if we have sex or going through a negotiations process of right. what's acceptable, what's not acceptable. So it's it's an ongoing learning process that requires a necessary foundation to be in place mm -hmm. for built from home in order to be taken out into the real world, into school, into work, into dating, and into any aspect of intimacy just that hasn't been built like almost have to build it on our own mm -hmm. in a lot of cases yeah one thing i wanted to bring up is that you had a really great analogy that i saw on your instagram about the movie it and as it relates to stigma would you mind sharing that with us oh yeah so i'll be paraphrasing it because it never comes out the exact same way whenever i say it so i love it um when i watched the movie it i i realized that each of these individual children in the novel were only able to be attacked by the clown, who's it, mm -hmm. when they were alone. And all of them thought that they were alone in that. They thought that they were the only person. They thought that they were the only ones who could see the clown. They thought they were alone. And essentially, that's what it is. And I'm still trying not to give away spoilers by <laughs> searching my thoughts. For You're what very I'm kind. <laughs> the, clown, the clown is herpes. That's what it is. And the kids represent us. We are, upon diagnosis, scared children who think that we are alone mm -hmm. with this clown. Like, clowns are scary. Stigma scary. Mm -hmm. And when we begin to find other people, and, like, you look at that group of kids that came together, like, that is a very unlikely group of people. Mm -hmm. And they all had their different experiences. Someone was getting bullied. Someone was uh, getting uh, abused by their father at home. All of these kids had their different experiences with this clown based on, you know, what was going on with them around the time that they saw the clown. And so when they came together, they found each other and they realized, oh, shit, you can see it, too. Like you could see like how excited they got, first off, to not only know that they were alone, but to also recognize, OK, this fear that we have, this clown, this stigma, it is not real. It is is only able to attack us separately when we think we are alone and when we that like that's its only hold over us mm -hmm. but when the kids were able to come together they literally beat the shit out of the clown and made it go away <laughs> and so well one of the proposed solutions that i have is you know that we have to like have better education on how to manage our sexual health mm -hmm. and not try and prevent and avoid STDs, but just to be like, okay, we want to prevent and avoid STDs, but in the event that you get one, this is what you need to know. You need to know that these are manageable, like HIV, for example, and with herpes, like there's suppressive therapy, and it's such a tricky virus 
that it, it just varies. Like it's different from person to person. There's mm-hmm. there's so much that's not understood. And because we think that we're alone and we have to face this thing on our own until we can collectively come together and provide enough details and information from people who get symptoms every day or don't have symptoms at all, like on that whole range, that whole entire spectrum, we're not really going to get closer to destigmatizing herpes because like, just like in the movie, you know, they, they came up with a plan together. Like, okay, guys, like, this is what I noticed about the clown. What do you notice about the clown? Mm -hmm. This is what I noticed about the clown. And everyone's experience was different, but when they came together, they were able to stand up to it and like I said, just beat the shit out of it. And that's the same exact thing with stigma. When the people who are stigmatized are able to stand up to it, yeah. <laughs> then it literally goes away. So over time, that's what's going to happen. And the only way to really come into contact with people like us who are seeing the clown is to just put yourself out there. You have mm-hmm. to take advantage of the opportunities to educate someone or inform someone. No one should just run around and be like, I have herpes. And, you know, maybe someone will be like, yeah, me too. But for the most part, everyone else will be like, what the fuck is he doing? Get down from there. Or else other people are going to realize <laughs> I have herpes. Or in terms of it, other people are going to realize I can see the clown too. I don't want people to look at me like I'm crazy yeah. because I'm seeing this clown. Come on, honey, get the kids. Let's go. Let's get out of here. <laughs> that's that's how i view it now like it's a clown and it was huge in that movie like it it was huge it was scary it was ferocious but then when they weren't scared of it anymore when they stood up to it 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 was nothing it was it was just literally a figment of their imagination and they could do nothing to them i love that through communicating through talking this out through coming together we have to figure out new ways to look at this. And if we just keep going with the same, you know, like one thing, for example, that is shifting and I'm excited about it is is just terms down to terminology. For example, you know, STD, sexually transmitted disease, is something that was a part of our language for a long time. And the word disease can have a different connotation and impact than the word infection. And so Mm -hmm. I love that now we're switching the language to STD because truly that is the more accurate you know verbiage to use and so the language does end up being important because it then can influence our understanding of something these are infections the fact that it could ever transition into a disease is not the same for each of these infections or for each person that contracts the infection so I think it's the little things and so this analogy that you bring up is a part of that. It's just another way that we can look at this and look at it more accurately and basically take away its power in terms yeah. of the stigma. So, And you literally are taking away its power, it being the name of the clown, it being stigma here as well. So I, I just found it interesting that whenever you can replace it, every time it is said in the movie, replace it with herpes and you have yourself a completely different movie. Wow. That is awesome. So let me ask you this. What are some of the biggest lessons that you've learned so far through doing this podcast and through hearing the experiences of other folks? Most people carry a perception of the stigma with them into their diagnosis. That stigma that they carry with them into their diagnosis comes from a time where they weren't not, they didn't know that they had contracted herpes nine times out of ten. Mm-hmm. So that stigma that was, you know, brought with them 
is one that isn't their own. It's not experience-based. It's based on not, most often like jokes that have been made about people with herpes or mm-hmm. uh, statements about people being dirty or the STD that you don't want to get right. because herpes you have all of these negative associations with herpes and the type of person who has herpes and you carry that into your diagnosis and in the beginning you think that you are that person you essentially think you are that stigma you are this dirty disgusting person who sleeps around and i guess doesn't take baths i don't understand like what dirty means exactly but you're that person now and that's kind of what we have to unlearn through our own education of what herpes means for us. Perfect example. I thought when I was first diagnosed that my penis would look the way it looked forever. Like I thought that that was gonna be what it looked like. I thought that that was gonna feel like. I thought it would always itch. I thought it would always have that look to it. But three days later, after taking the medication I was prescribed, it was gone. Like nothing had ever happened. Mm -hmm. So at that point I learned, oh, there are outbreaks. what are outbreaks? Okay, these things come when you're sick, your immune system's down, when you're eating like shit, when you're not working out, mm-hmm. when you're not taking care of yourself. And so, okay, bam, now I know, take care of myself. And then a year passes, two years pass, three years pass, where I just go with maybe a slight tingle yeah. as a reminder, hey, Courtney, get your ass to the gym. But even if I get that tingle, like I'll take the medication to avoid an outbreak completely. And that's what's worked for me. What you don't learn going into it is everyone's experience is going to be different. You Mm -hmm. can prepare yourself as best you can, but if the always expect a plan to fail. (laughs) And when it does, you have to throw it away and come up with a new one. So my plan going into herpes went from, oh my God, I need to just prepare to be in pain and be on medication and be alone for the rest of my life because of that stigma that was instilled in me from people who don't have herpes. And then after having herpes, dealing with it, being in groups of people who also have it and finding out about their unique experiences, like I've come up with different treatment remedies and coconut oil, for example, to like soothe any irritation. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's more natural treatments, uh, tea tree oils and uh, herbs that you can use to treat the virus, not cure the virus, right. but treat it. And just learning like how to reduce the risk of transmission and different things that different people are doing. It work, Different things work for different people. And I think that that's the biggest takeaway is that the stigma that we go into it with is not our own. And once we learn what having herpes means for us individually, then it truly isn't that big of a deal to not to, I mean, as, as cliche as it sounds, that's what the case is. It's a mild inconvenience whenever it gets to that point. But in my case, herpes has literally changed my life. I work out every day unless I'm just absolutely too, too sore or I just run out of time. I am more conscious of the food that I put in my body. I don't eat like gluttonous, greasy, ranchy, cheesy, bacony uh, Chinese meals anymore <laughs> as yeah. often as I used to. I still do it, but not as often. Like I've learned moderation. Right. Herpes has taught me to keep my body in a place of moderation where I don't overdo things and I don't, you know, underdo things. So in my own personal journey, like that would be the biggest takeaway from me in the experience of talking to all of the fantastic people who've been uh, so cool to open up about their own experience living with herpes. What I'm taking away from what you're saying underlying that is empathy. And empathy. it's, yeah, yes. 
just yeah. being able to develop that. And I really think that when we get stronger in our understanding of an application of empathy in our lives, that can be one of those things that kills stigma. <laughs> yes. And like, I, we have this whole buildup and collection of experiences that in life, you know, some are good, some are bad, but all of them are contingent on how we view them, how we perceive them. Mm -hmm. So I think that empathy puts us in a place to collect these experiences and like have this superpower almost to where we allow something greater to happen through us. You know, yes, Peter yes. Parker was bitten by a radioactive spider and became Spider-Man. <laughs> a lot of people's cases, something tragic happened to them. In my case, I, at that point in time, I got herpes. That is not the worst thing that's happened to me. Right, right. But, you know, it, it gave me a sense of empathy and understanding and it allowed me to look at people who are vulnerable, who mm. are oppressed or looked down upon and be able to see the humanness in them. Yes. And always say, you know, life isn't about what happens to you. It's about what happens through you. So regardless of the things that have happened to you in your past, being bad or indifferent to them, like as long as there's good happening through you, like it, you're doing what you're supposed to be doing in life. Absolutely. Well, I think you clearly are demonstrating that through the work that you're doing and the vulnerability that you're you're creating the space for folks to be vulnerable and for their voices to be heard. And it's expanding out and benefiting so many. So let me ask you this. What does sex positivity mean to you? Sex positivity means the absence of or management of shame. Like, I, I am ashamed of <laughs> certain things, I'm not going to lie, but I manage it well. And I think one of the things that helps is talking about it. So sex positivity is being able to have an understanding of who you are as a person, yeah. what that means for you in bed, the things that you like sexually, being able to identify your organs or the organs that you want, and being able to, you know, understand how to use them, what they mean to you, and in my case, it's pleasure <laughs> until mm -hmm. it comes time to reproduce. But sex positivity, to me, just means having that level of comfort with yourself. It mm -hmm. means accepting who you are and, and how it relates to your life and being able to openly communicate consensually um, yeah. about, you know, if you're doing things with a partner, but... You should be able to masturbate without feeling bad. There should never be a moment where you have that. And then just being able to manage the shame behind sex. Sex positivity is just the freedom of being able to, to communicate about your sexuality mm -hmm. to yourself and consensually to others. Lovely. Awesome. So what projects do you have going on in 2018? What are you really excited about? 2018, I am really excited about the growth of my own podcast, Something Positive for Positive People. Um, I'm excited for the number of guests that have been on because I really thought that this was going to be something I was not going to be able to get too many people to come on and talk about, about their own personal experience living with various STIs. Uh, there's people, of course, with herpes because that's what I have and that's who I have access to. Mm -hmm. uh, HPV, HIV, AIDS. Uh, people who've gotten chlamydia, gonorrhea, people who are dating people who have a sexually transmitted infection. I have everyone on the podcast who is either living with or affected by mm -hmm. an STI. And so I'm excited for so many stories to be 
put out there to the world. I'm excited for the messages I get from people who find the podcast, who find themselves being able to connect to the resources available to them, who are meeting people in their area, who are telling me that now they're, they disclosed for the first time and they told someone else about their condition. These are the kinds of things that really excite me and keep me going. And, and doing the podcast, it just makes me feel like I'm doing a good thing. It's been amazing uh, connecting with your platform and just knowing that it exists. And, you know, I was recently a guest, um, honored to be a guest on there. And, and we were able to connect about, you know, my own experience uh, living with HSV2 with herpes. And so, you know, again, it's just it's something that uh, affects all of us in different ways and can our young people as well. And so it's great that we have platforms like yours that are saying, hey, let's talk about this. Let's connect. We're human beings and let's and work through this together. I did post the podcast to a specific group and there were a few comments in there and they were like, oh my God, you, why would you tell your kids you have this? Uh, and I was able to, as a result of the conversation you and I had, I was able to educate and inform someone like, hey, you know, this is really what it's about, you know, mm-hmm. and I used the example of, um, uh, I used the tickling analogy that we talked about in the mm-hmm. podcast. I use that everywhere now all of a sudden. That's awesome. But um, as far as disclosing to your kids, like, I think that, that that has more power in it than telling your kids don't get an SCD because at that yes. point it's real. Mom has an SCD now. Right. Mom, My mom is not the kind of person I thought would, you know, be within the stigma of what I thought a person with herpes would look like. So I was able to explain that to her. And what she does with that information, I'll never know. Mm-hmm. But it's there for other people who may have thought about it yeah. or, and thought, you know, I'm never telling my kids or who have been on the fence about telling their kids. So thanks to the work that you're doing, you know, you're you're really educating a lot more people than you, than you know. And, and I, I thank you so much for being on the podcast mm-hmm. because not a lot of people, like, tune in tightly but there are people who watch it from afar just to avoid the association or being found out about having an std and like i said i just thank you for being so open and vulnerable and with uh with me and sharing that information because now it allows for something greater to happen through this podcast than i would have been able to do on my own because otherwise i'd have just talked about herpes but <laughs> here we are now with an idea that can inspire action to eliminate stigma and you know eventually completely free an entire group of people who are self-oppressed literally self-oppressed yes, oh, that's <laughs> such a yes that's such an important perspective self-oppressed definitely yeah because these secrets these secrets are what will keep the shame and the stigma alive we've got to come out of those secrets and yes that means even to the closest folks in our lives that's really where it starts. It starts with us and then we expand out. So that that may include our our own children. And like you said, the impact that it can have on shifting this is huge. Thank you for sharing that. That is that warms my heart sincerely. Yeah, I just wanted to make sure that you know that. <laughs> like it, it's it's definitely uh, the podcast that we did has gotten some very good feedback, and I'm so thankful to have you on as a guest and shift the direction that it's going in and be able to do more good into the world. So thank you so much, Melissa, for what you're doing. Oh, thank you. I'm just honored to be connected with you. So tell the listeners. How, where can they find something positive for positive people? What are the different platforms that it's on? Okay, so I hope y'all ready. Everybody grab a pencil <laughs> or a paper or 
open up the notes app on your iPhone. <laughs> um, I can be found on social media, Instagram, Twitter, Reddit, Tumblr, at H on my chest. That's just the letter H-O-N-M-Y-C-H-E-S-T. Like the letter H is on my chest. Mm. Um, the podcast can be found on your favorite podcast player. Uh, it's iTunes available, Stitcher, um, Podbay, Podbean, Podchaser. There's so many podcast websites out there. It's ridiculous. Yeah. Um, so wherever you listen to podcasts, just search something positive for positive people. And if you do listen, please do like, subscribe, and leave a review. Yes. Uh, I make sure and ask everybody to do that just because it helps with other people being able to find the podcast and then be connected to the resources that they need in order to help get through their diagnosis and just be able to rediscover themselves. Like all of the secret groups and everything that were available to me really helped me with getting through my diagnosis and discovering who I am was not who I was before the diagnosis. So help somebody by leaving a review if you check it out. Absolutely. And we are going to include all of those links into the show notes, as well as some resources about some of the topics that we've talked about today. That way you can get connected. Um, So I just want to, again, just with all of my heart and soul, I want to thank you, Courtney, for everything that you do and everything that you're doing and everything that you will do that you have no clue is in your path right now, because I know it's going to be great. Uh, We are honored to have had your perspective and your voice and your experiences in on this podcast. Thank you so much, Melissa. It's been a pleasure. If you like this episode and podcast, please leave a review in iTunes or Google Play so more people can find us. And you can always visit us on our website at sexpositivefamilies.com. There you can shop sex positive swag in our online store, connect with us across our social media platforms, register for our latest workshops, and learn more resources to help support sexual health in your family. Until next time, I'm Melissa Carnegie. Thank you for supporting content that strengthens sexual health talks in families.